This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. with us. Um, I will just turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself real fast. Uh, hi, my name is Carol Thompson. Um, I don't know what else you want me to say for this. Yeah, maybe just a little bit about you, like where you're from, if you're comfortable okay. or anything yeah. you might find interesting. Uh, I was born in Juneau, Alaska. I was born and raised here. Um, I have a bunch of siblings. I'm one of nine. So wow. yeah, a lot of us um, homeschooled. So like very, I guess it does come into play like very, very sheltered upbringing. So yeah, like, as you imagine, we kind of call like the church I was growing up in now, I'd call like a cult. So like, you know, skirts, you know, uh, never saw any like movies type of thing, no television ever, um, never really got out. Our only thing was church. And even then it was like, you will go to these classes, you won't go to these ones, like everything very controlled, which definitely comes into play later. Okay. Well, thank you for like laying the backdrop a little bit for yeah. us. I think that's helpful. I kind of like uh, letting listeners know just a little bit about who we're uh, talking to before we kind of get into things. Um, but with that, I guess what I usually do to start the podcast it, is just to let ask people and let them start telling their story wherever it makes the most sense to them. So like for you, just feel free to jump in and start telling your story wherever and however you're comfortable. Okay. Yeah. So uh, beginning of the story, I'd be when I was seven, um, all at my grandma's house. My grandpa was actually dying of cancer, so a lot of the family from all over the states was up here. And like I mentioned, I had a bunch of siblings, so like all of us kids were upstairs, all the adults were downstairs, type of thing. And one of my older cousins was upstairs, and we all just kind of like bounced on his lap, like playing around with him. Of course, nothing in my mind of anything is going on, and um, just kind of playing around he leaves for a while and he comes back and he's like does someone want to help me with laundry i'm like oh yeah i do and so just the two of us go to the third floor of the house and he brings me in a room and he's like oh like just kind of talking i'm not thinking of anything there's no laundry anywhere but he's holding this laundry basket and he's like are you going to keep me secrets and i was like in my head i'm like no like all my siblings like make fun of me for that but of course like yeah like he's the older cousin i want to be cool want to be cool like, okay. yeah yeah, so I was like, yeah, like, I can keep secrets. He's like, okay, do you trust me? I was like, yeah, like, of course. Like, what's there not to trust? Like, nothing in my head, anything. And so he leads me from that room upstairs to a different room. And, uh, like, that's kind of when I was like, something's wrong. Like, this is weird. But even then, I'm like, no idea what's going on. So then he takes me into the master bathroom, and he, like, closed and locks the door. I'm just standing there like, okay, now something's weird like nothing like this has ever happened before um and so he like grabs my hand and he like starts rubbing his face with it and like I just kind of freeze like that yeah. everyone has their fight fright freeze mine yeah. is definitely freeze it always has been so um I just kind of like stand there like can't do say anything 
and uh, he starts like pulling on my clothes, like, you want to take these off for me? And I can't do anything. Like, I can't run. I'm just standing there. So he like takes off my skirt. I was wearing tights and like, of course, underwear, like pulls it down and she like starts feeling like all over. And I'm like, just like sick, feel it to my stomach, but I don't really know what's going on. And then. And you're um, so young. I mean, seven yeah. is just, you're so young and haven't been exposed to anything. Why would you know, you know, what's going on or what to do? Yeah, no idea. And so then he's like standing there and he's like, uh, like, do you want to see mine? I have no idea what he's talking about. And I'm still frozen. So I just stand there like mm-hmm. nothing. And so he like takes on his pants and like, he's got a boner and he's like, you want to touch it? And I'm like, still just frozen. And so then he takes my hands and he like makes me like feel him and stuff. And then uh, just still standing there. He's like, okay. And like, and he like helps me put my clothes back on and stuff. And he's like, you go back downstairs now. And like, I didn't know what happened. I was just so like that feeling. And I've like felt like knew something's wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And so I left the room and like walked downstairs. And I just like for that feeling, I had that for months. Like it was just, just never went away type of thing. And I just changed in that instant. Like everything was different, but I didn't know why. I didn't know how, but like all of a sudden I was like super scared of things. Like I was scared of the dark. I was scared of being alone. I don't like going to my grandma's house anymore and like terrible dreams. They say like, you can't dream anything if you haven't seen it, but like super sheltered. Like we didn't watch movies or anything like the most insane, like terrible dreams. Like everything just scared me. And I never told anyone because well, I didn't know what happened. I didn't know like who to tell. We were very strict. So, like I was scared of my parents. Like I'd once been spanked for saying underwear. So like I had no notion of like what I could or couldn't say or do. Um, and like even with homeschooling, my mom would like take our books and like glue any pages of anatomy together. So like for the longest time, I didn't know what was what or what was happening. And so it took me a long time to realize what did. And when it finally realized, I was like, well, now what do I do? Like it's been years. Like who do I tell? So like I just kept it all inside for a long time. And then my 16th um, birthday is the first time I like I have a, a trigger that like actually like I realized what was oh. happening. Like it triggered me. Right. And um, it was on my birthday. And my sister was upstairs. I just like broke down crying. Cause like it all came back and she's like, what happened? Like, what's wrong? And so I told her and she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, I remember that day. Like I remember him taking upstairs. I knew something was wrong, but she was only like nine at the time. So like, what was she going to do? And she said that like, she looked everywhere for me and she like couldn't find me. And then like, she knew like when I came downstairs, she like something was wrong. Like you were never the same. So like that was my first big trauma, I guess. Like um, the first abuse, but it all kind of leads into the next one. So 16 was also the year I went to a summer camp. It was a Bible summer camp. And one of the, um, what do they call it? Like one of the camp counselors started talking to me. And he's about like a decade older than I was. And I just, I didn't really think anything of it. Like he'd been like, we'd, I'd grown up with everyone there for years. Like we've gone to the same church, seen the same people. He'd been friends with my brothers and they started talking to me. I was like, okay, cool. Like don't think anything of it. And then he offered to drive me home um, from the church camp. I was like, sweet. Like I don't have to sit in a bus full of you know, like crazy teenagers. But from <laughs> there, he just like clung on really fast. So like, all of a sudden he's like mm-hmm. sitting next to me in church and like texting me and like all of a sudden the same friend group. And so he became like just a regular part of my life type of thing. And then um, 
yeah, it was like um, that um, school year. And I in did, your mind, started... that you're not dating, and that's never been no. like, uh, established. Yeah, yeah. No, so he was actually, for a little bit, he was like after my sister, one of the older mm-hmm. ones, because he's like, oh, you know, she's cool. I want to be part of the family type thing. I don't know. And so um, I was around him a lot of times because you can't be alone together type thing. And right. so um, that school year, he became my basketball coach because it was, wasn't a high school team. It was like a intramural, like anyone in Fairbanks in the same age group could do it. I was like, oh, cool. Like that's, that's me. Like someone I already know, like someone I'm friends with. And um, he started asking my mom, like, well, can you drop her off like an hour ahead of time so we can have extra time to practice? And I was like, well, you know, I am bad at um, basketball. So that makes sense. Like some coaching. And he's like, well, can we also do on the weekend? So now we're having like all this time together. Like he's my mentor. He's older than me. Like, you know, respect your elders type thing. So like become super close. And then um, just kind of going towards that thing, become super good friends. And then him with my sister didn't work out. And he starts, I can tell like he's starting to like me. And I'm like, that's super Uh-oh. weird. Like, yeah. And your parents older. at this point don't really suspect anything. No, like, or either that or they don't care. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, so like, turned 17, he was still talking a lot, and he kind of confesses his love to me. And I'm like, well, like, no, like, I don't feel that same way towards you. He's like, well, you're already like saying I'm such a good guy. Like, why wouldn't you give a good guy a chance? And, like, the guilt trips start and stuff like that. And he's like, I only dated your sister, so like, maybe we could be family one day. And like, I just wanted to be close to you in any way possible. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, but like, we're super close to this point. Like, just kind of brush it off. But, like, the love bombing. Like, he's always, like, writing me letters and giving me gifts and, like, taking, like, getting me food. Like, all this different stuff. So, I graduate high school and I start um, pre-law a couple weeks later because I'm not good at downtime. So, I'm, like, it's going to immediately start college. And so, then he's always at, like, my classes. Like, before, after, like, even at breaks. He's like, oh, I have stuff for you. Like, here's a breakfast burrito. Here's a tea. It's, like, constant, like, gifts all the time. And like, I just kind of get used to it. He's always there type of thing. Well, and it's hard to know, like, it's hard to brush something off like that when it's disguised as like support. It's not, yeah, you know, it's like, it's a burrito, right? It's easy yeah. to be like, well, it's just a burrito, but it's like, you know, when it's constant and there's like a pattern and it's really intense and the love bombing, like you said, yeah. um, that's different, but it it's hard to differentiate in the moment sometimes. Yeah. And because like he'd been such a good friend and like a right. coach, a mentor, like all sorts of stuff, right. he's helping me. Like I owed him. So like I kind of just brush him off and he's always saying like, Oh, I'd hate to lose you. Like, you know, my best friend, all this different stuff. And so like even like at church, he starts like going through like my phone. Like he'll take my phone from me and like just go through it. So he's like starting to like control little things, but it's like little and I'm like, Well, it's not a big deal, like don't worry about it type things. And then like around seventeen I'm going to college and stuff. And so I was like, well, it's like go in my car and let's go to food or like, let's go do something. I'm like, yeah, like, sure. Like, why not? Like, I have a break in college or whatever. And then he started being like, well, like sit on my lap in the car. I'm like, no, like, I don't really want to. So like, he's a big dude. He's like, just pick me up and like, put me in his lap. Like, see, it's not that bad. It's like little things like every time. Mm. Like there's one time he was at my parents' house and like, he wanted like my legs over his lap. And I was like, no, like, don't really want to. So he like put my legs like over his lap, like anything, like. I don't really feel comfortable. He's like, well, we're just going to do it anyway type of thing. Like physically, literally force you to do it. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, like, I don't really have a choice type of thing. So, 
no, just going to go with it. And with the age difference and him being somebody that you've known for so long as someone that you consider a friend and not just with you, but your whole family, it's like, you know, there's like intimacy there. And like, um, it's not just like a stranger coming in and like grabbing your feet and putting them on your lap. It's like, oh, this person I know, this person I trust. Yeah. And then like with all the things you've been doing, like getting me food, be like, oh, let's go get you gas or like, like, let me help you with your like schoolwork or like if there's something you're scared you're struggling with or I'm your coach, I want to help you with this. Like always just like putting himself in there, like, let me help you. Like, I'm here for you. And then if I would say no to something, like, well, you said I'm a good guy. Like, why wouldn't you treat me like I'm a good guy? So it's like, well, like maybe he's right. Like maybe I'm in the wrong here. So I just kind of go along with it, go along with it. And then, of course, you know, it always progresses. It's never good enough. So then he started, like, uh, the first time I went to his house, he lived in his sister's basement. And we had, like, gone in. He, like, didn't turn the lights on anything. He just went and laid on the bed. And he's like, come over here. He's like, no. Like, kind of sat on the other bed. Like, kind of want to go home now. And so he, like, picked me up and, like, put me on top of him. I was kind of sitting there awkwardly, like, okay, like, what now? And then he just, like, starts, like, groping me and, like, puts his hands in my clothes and just, like, touching me and I'm like once again like freeze for like a second thankfully it's not as long as time and he's like starts like breathing super heavily and like like writhing underneath me and I'm like what is happening I like jump up like I need to go he's like oh let me walk you out like I'm so sorry like blah 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 you know I didn't mean to ever step like all this different stuff it's I would never want to lose you and like I just get in my car and I drive home like like just crying the whole time like what just happened like this is my fault like I should never let this happen and then I'm like well just you know take a break and he's like constantly calling and texting like at church he's still sitting next to me and he's still in the friend group and then he's like like it wasn't my fault like you know you just you're so beautiful and you're so amazing like I just I thought like maybe you wanted it like all sorts of stuff so then I feel bad I'm like well it was my fault like like once again like he's doing all these things for me and so or maybe I led him on somehow or maybe yeah, exactly. he misinterpreted me accepting all of his gifts as like me being interested or it's yeah. You never want to believe that someone that you care about is capable of like harming you. Yeah. And so, and there's a lot of conditioning of, of like, you know, needing to be careful and needing to protect your like purity and like, yeah. you know, and as women, there are a lot of that, there's a lot of that messaging and conditioning from for, forever, you know? Yeah. And so it's easy to be like, Oh, I did something to like that internal dialogue. I can yeah. so identify with that. Yeah, like, especially, like, all, like, you were saying in the church, like, growing up, it's, like, if a guy is stumbling, it's your fault. I remember mm-hmm. one of the pastors saying, like, if you have a slit, like, we're just going to see how far we can look at it. It's not our fault. Like, it's your fault you wore that slit. It's, like, my whole life being told, told that, like, you're only good until, like, you lose your virginity. Then, like, they would say, like, you're a chewed up piece of gum. Like, who wants that? So, like, always it's your fault, like, no matter what. And like It's your even job to, like, to guard yourself and yeah. any anything – that happens, if, you know, sexually is your fault because you didn't guard yourself, like, well enough. Yeah. And then if a guy does stumble, like, well, what did you do to cause that? Like, how dare you? So there's a lot of that, a lot of guilt. But, um, yeah, I just kept kind of – he kept standing around. I was like, well, you know, he's a friend. Like, he said he's a nice guy. Like, he's helped me all this time. And so I would still, like, keep seeing him. And then um, – it would be like in the car, he'd like pull me over, put his lap. And then it's like he knew since he did that, he could go further because I kept coming back. So then he would like start like rubbing like, like my crotch, like outside the pants. And I'd be like, you know, like, what am I going to do type of thing? I can't leave. Like it was always his car. So I could get outside and like 
sleep, he would take us in his car somewhere like far away, like miles away in like a random place where no one else was. And then he's like, we'll have you watch porn. And I was like, no. He's like, I pulled his phone. He like starts watching it and like trying to do stuff to me. I was like, no, like that's not really going to work. So um, another thing, like I left that too. And then he would just keep doing stuff like that. Um, and like you said before, like he would push it. it. I mean, over years, right? Like this is this is not like zero to 60 in the same day. It's like over years, he's been incrementally like pushing a little bit farther and seeing if he can get away with it, like yeah. pushing it a little bit farther and seeing if he can get away with it. And then it escalates to a point where it's like scary and you don't know what to do and you don't know who to talk about and you're all part of the same community. And it's just yeah. like, it's so confusing. Yeah. And so I kept telling myself like, everyone else in relationships like like what am I doing wrong like they'd be like you should give me a chance like I'm a good guy like mm-hmm. all this different stuff so like like maybe I should like maybe this is normal like you know like it could just be me like I've been leading him on so like he deserves this like and it's my fault if I don't give it to him so then um just like incrementally over and over and over again and it became like normal and like mm-hmm. I would look forward to seeing him and then like just have to get through those bad parts and be like okay everything's fine again and then there was one time, it's like middle of nowhere type thing. Um, I was sitting on his lap and like he gets a boner. So like trying to like sit elsewhere. And he was like, oh, well, like, do you want to see it? And I was like, no, but he like whips it out anyway. And then it's like, he'd been planning for it. So he'd like pull lotion. He's like, you want like, he starts like drinking himself off. He's like, well, do you want to do it? And I was like, no. And then he grabs my hands and it forces it. And I was like freaking out. So he's like, well, just sit in the other seat. And, like, pulls up porn and, like, gets himself off. Like, me just seeing his seat, like, what is happening? Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I've never, like, besides Marshall's, like, I've never seen anything like that before. So, it was another moment I was, like, like, what am I doing? Like, I need, like, someone to help me. But I'm in this car forever away. And so, like, I always wonder, like, why didn't I just, like, never talk to him again type of thing. But, like, by then I was so conditioned in mm-hmm. this, like, cycle and he'd been grooming me so well. Like I hadn't mm-hmm. even realized from like start to finish. And then it was kind of like one of those moments where I was like kind of ready to walk away, but then like everything went wrong. So like my sister and guy, like only guy I'd ever like started dating. And like, they were like my big friend group. And I was like, it was like my first heartbreak and it was like mm-hmm. devastating. So I'm like depressed. And I'm like, well, I don't really care what happens right now. And then my cousin is my best friend, like born a week after me. He committed suicide and I was the only person he had like said goodbye to like we were snapping like always like on Snapchat and he texted me that morning and he was like we were just talking like always he's like goodbye I was like well, I don't know what that means but after like run a class and then turns out he had killed himself and so like I blamed myself and I was like mm-hmm. depression and it's like he knew like that's my moment like this is her week time I'm like jumping here and like she's mine and he did it really well like yeah you're like, like, like well, vulnerable yeah Which is actually something I've heard a lot from survivors is that like, and it's not, you know, it doesn't have to look like that always, but I've heard a lot. It's like someone found me when I was feeling really down or something bad had just happened or I was vulnerable or, you know, there's, I was raw. And it's like, I think predatory people can sense that and take advantage of it. Yeah. So it's like all the people that I maybe could have reached out to were just like gone like so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so then like the night because I take care of my grandma as well so I care caretaker for like four years so going to the funeral that was in Texas I was going to drive her to the airport so he knew I was at her house 
and he drove over there, over there with like all these snacks and stuff like oh stuff for your trip like all these gifts of course and then he like led me to an empty room and then he like like wrestled me at the ground and like put his hand on my pants like trying to get me off and I was like what is like super depressed like my best friend just died like I just remember like what is happening and then I was like I gotta go like have to go there for it and he's like let me up I said, oh like have a good trip like what the heck was that like but I was like so out of it to begin with and so I go to the funeral and Marshall's there of course because he's a cousin it's like having to see him and like he comes up and hugs me and I'm like what is happening like all like the worst things that can possibly happen just one after the other and so like after that which is so depressed and I get back and because I just seen Marshall I had like all these triggers and he knew what was like that I was like upset and everything so he's like I need to be around you all the time like after work I want to show up like that you're working wait outside for you like all your classes like at church like there was no getting away from him at that like point masquerading because, as like support for you yeah like calling me texting me yeah you're like this is for you I'm helping you I'm supporting you in your grief yeah and so then one time we were like hanging out and like I was triggered by something and I told him the story of like what happened like what Marshall did to me mm. and like usually people have like a reaction like oh like that's terrible he like didn't say anything she's like oh okay and like changed the subject I was like okay well that was a lot to like tell him so I just didn't really think about it and then he came to my grandma's house like the next Saturday because I would take her course shopping every Saturday and then church every Sunday so they were there all the time mm. and um he brought he like led me to the same room that it all started with Marshall and like something was wrong and I was like uh like what's happening he's like oh nothing like we should go upstairs and so I like begging him. I was like please don't do anything like please like and I just like kept begging him and he's like oh no like I promise like you're fine like nothing's gonna happen I was like well like I just had that feeling like something's gonna happen and so he let me in there and he like closed and locked the door and it's like it played he like acted out like all over again and so he like as soon as he locked the door I froze like just like I did with Marshall and like he led me over the bed he like placed something over my face I don't know if that made it easier for him or whatever and then he like pulled my clothes off and he like performed oral sex but I didn't feel anything it was just mm. like get through it like like scream internally I was screaming like this cannot be happening again like what the heck but like and he eventually just stopped and like it was like a zombie like for that from that moment on with him like just like there was no escaping it was just like everything was off like I was already depressed and then for him to like reenact like my childhood trauma like that was it like from there on he just it's like he knew he had me and abusive people, like, they find, and th- I mean, that's so twisted, you know, um, they like to be so vulnerable and to like offer up this really traumatic information to someone that you thought should, you should be able to trust. And then for them to take it and use it against you, it's like, you know, they'll hit you where it hurts and they'll, they'll do exactly what they know will hurt you the most. And like, yeah. that was like the deepest hurt and like turned around and used it to completely you know, wreck you. And then, you know, when you were talking about like, I didn't feel anything, it's like, yeah, I think that's, that I've heard, I mean, that happens a lot where it's like, you sort of disassociate out of your body yeah. and it's like, oh, I can't, I can't be in my own skin. I'm just going to like totally shut off. Like my brain won't even let me be here right now. And that's like a survival coping mechanism, you know? Yeah. And then from now on, it just kind of felt like disassociation all of the time. Like, right that was my life and like people like like why don't you leave your abuser like you don't know how like you want to but even in your brain like it just doesn't compute like you have no idea how or like 
and you're just trying to survive like moment to moment day to day. And this, your brain now registers. This person is like not safe, scary, harmful. And like the mere presence, it's just like, you're just going to do what you need to do. If that's being a zombie, so you don't even have to like engage, you know, and that's how you stay safe. I mean, I totally understand that. And I think it's a really common misconception from folks who don't get it, who will then be like, well, why didn't you leave? Or I don't understand. Why would you let them do that to you? It's like, we don't always have control over how our brain chooses to respond in like traumatic situations, you know? And I feel like he, like from that moment on, he like knew that at my grandma's house, like he had like, especially there, he had like control. Cause that's where like a ton of them happened after that. Like and he knew I would be there because, like, I'm helping my grandma. And, like, it's not like I'm just going to stop doing that. Right. So, uh, like, one of the times, like, I was cleaning out her car like I always did. And he, like, hopped in the back seat with me. And I'm, like, like I don't like trying to get out. And he's, like, no. like And he, like, holds me down. And he, like, pulls off my clothes. And he, like, trying to, like, get me off. And I was, like, no. Like, trying to, like, leave. Like, go out the door. And he, like, gets super angry, which I'd never seen him angry before. He's, like, mm-hmm. holding me down. And, like, super painful. And I'm, like, and I'm, like, he made me watch all this porn. Like I know exactly how to fake an orgasm. It's so, like that became my new coping mechanism. Like as soon as like the rape or like abuse started, it's like, well, like I'm just gonna copy what he forced me to watch and like, you know, pretend. And like that would make him super happy. Like he felt super good about himself. So like, mm. wasn't a good coping mechanism, but like that's the new thing. Like this is how I survived type of thing. Well, and the and like one of the few times you tried to fight back or leave, he got really angry, which is like, you know, conscious or subconsciously, your brain is taking in that information is like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I know that if I try to like, you know, stand up for myself, this is going to get more violent. And so then it's like, you got to try something else to stay safe. And I yeah. think, um, you know, abusive people don't like to be challenged. And when they do, often their violence will escalate. Like when their power and control is being challenged, that's when yeah. it gets even worse. And so like on some level, you clearly knew that. And it's like, yeah, um, yeah I mean, that's like, you just got to do what you got to do to get through it. Yeah. And like, um, but like the relationship, like just kept progressing. It was mm-hmm. like, it was like, I didn't. I keep looking back like well why did I let it keep going but like I just didn't know how to stop it and like there were good moments like in every abusive relationship it's not yeah. 100% bad like he still gave me gifts and like would take care of me and like his big thing is like writing poems like oh like you're the most like important person important person to me like all this summer stuff and so then eventually got to a place where like he I knew he was going to propose and I like tried to make it didn't happen like make it not happen I knew the night is going to happen I was like trying to all the excuses like I need to go home then got engaged I was like well like this is it like like my, my life is over type thing like I have no place to go from here and so then we eloped it's like I really didn't want a real wedding like I don't want my family there like I don't want to be here myself why would I right. want anyone else here right and then from there like it just got worse he's like well you can't have a job like I want you home when I get home like and I want you like you know to be taking care of the home type of thing and then like of course still going through my phone like the control was like at the app most like top level and then before we got married like he would not like do penetrative sex like with like he wouldn't put his dick inside of me because somehow like that was i don't Crossing know like, the line. Had, yeah sex yeah. in the past like i don't know what that was all about but um it might have been a pregnancy thing because there was a pregnancy scare because like he would like jerk off all over me and like he was yeah. like and i was super late on my period probably from stress but he was like super mad. He's like, "Well, like, I wish I could just like punch you in the stomach a bunch, or like throw you down the stairs." Like he would just keep telling me that, and I was like, 
was not helping. Like eventually my period, like two months late and he was like super happy, but like he was not nice to me in those months. He thought like I maybe messed up his perfect Christian image. So um, yeah, um, after I got married, um, like I literally like, could not have sex. Like my vagina had to like close up. It was like trying to protect me, but he didn't really care about that. It's so, like the most painful thing ever. Like my body was like, no, this can't happen. And he's like, well, yes, it can. Like I'm your husband now. Like this is what marriage is about. Like you please me sexually type thing. So like that, like marriage was just like, that's all it was like trying to like, in my mind, like I'm messing up again. Like it's all my fault. Like I can't please my husband. Like biblically, like that's the one thing we're taught to do. Like you keep yourself chaste and then like you give yourself your husband and I couldn't, but he could take. Um, and so, yeah, like um, eventually I was like, I can't stay home anymore. I was super depressed. Like I was like, I'm going to join the military. Like that's what I always wanted to do. And so I went to basic and tech school, which is about a year. And it like changed my life because I'm not around him. Like he'd visit me a couple of times, but he's not allowed to be there all the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I can be happy. And like, I went to the gym and I was like, like everything was changed for me. I like got independence for the first time in my life and all this different stuff. And so I came back and then of course everything was the exact same. So like immediately I'm depressed again. And it just, this terrible cycle, but it was a little different because like I had known like a bit of happiness. And I was like, well, like, that's kind of weird. When you have nothing else to compare it to, it's hard to, to know, like, what the other side feels like, you know? But then when you have that little taste of, like, freedom and joy again, it's like, oh, now I have another reference point where it's like, I want that again, you know? And it'll plant a seed sometimes. So, like, it was definitely different. And I, I think you could tell because I don't think you liked it. But, mm. like, I had more of that, like, I had more confidence. Like, everything was better. And he had super, um, like, taken away, like, all my friends and, like, even, like, my family I was super close to. Like, he had cut off all of those somehow. He had made them seem like a bad guy or, like, it was her relationship. So, like, over time, it was just him and I, which was really good for him, not so great for me. But in the military, like, you're forced to have friends outside. And I worked in a vault, so, like, he couldn't come see me all the time because he needed, like, the pin pad to get in. So, it was, like, a little safe spot. Like, I was happy there. And then he started visiting all the time. So, like, it was... He's like, he's like, oh, she's happy there. I need to be there too, type of thing. It's like all the lunches and stuff, he would come see me. But then a coworker called me out and he was like, why are you so afraid of your husband? It's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're so happy. Like when you're here and he shows up or someone says like he's on the phone for you, it's like, and you just die like instantly. It's like your smile goes away. Like, it's like, you're not even a human being. I was like, crap. Like someone else saw it type of thing. Like, oh, I thought I was doing so good. Like keeping up the whole facade. But, like, made me think, like, so much, like, it's not just me. Like, maybe it's not just, like, my fault. If someone I blame else myself. is noticing, maybe yeah. there's something to it. I, like, blame myself for everything the entire time. Like, this is all my fault. And, like, he had gotten me so many marriage books, like, biblical marriage books, how, like, the wife's supposed to submit herself. I had tons of them, like, a ridiculous amount. Because he would buy them for me, like, you need to read this. Like, obviously, like, our relationship sucks because I'm not getting sex, everything. So, um yeah, just obviously that wasn't really working. Like, couldn't force my body to open up from trauma that he had caused. So I was like, well, I'll go to physical therapy. Like, they've heard, like, that they can, like, you know, open it up and, like, make it to be better. And so I did. And it's like, right away, my physical therapist was like, are you okay? Like, is everything good at home? Yes, like, physical oh, therapist. Yeah, of course. Like, everything's wonderful. She's like, well, this isn't normal, like, especially for your age and, like, everything. I was like, nope, nope, like, no idea. It's like weeks of this and nothing was changing. Like she was like, 
so she brought someone else in and they both were like like are you sure like there's nothing going on at home and I was like I mean I'll ask my husband because of course I was super like bought into the thing like everything would go through him I brought it up to him and he's like well you had that thing when you were younger like that that your cousin did or whatever I was like yeah like that's probably it that has to be it and so I told like my physical therapist like I was like yeah there was something like my husband brought up like years ago and they had the look they both knew they were like yeah like like they knew exactly what's going on but like what could they be like I wouldn't admit to anything and I like in my head I didn't believe he was doing anything wrong like everything was my fault no matter what so yeah like eventually they kind of they almost said they gave up but they were like there's nothing we more can do like they can't fix a problem that's reoccurring which is actually like it sounds counterintuitive but they made the right approach like if they had forced you to like tell them it would could have been way more traumatic and the fact that they even, um, yeah, like had an inkling and tried to ask at all, I think is an opportunity that a lot of healthcare providers and other professionals miss. So it's really cool to hear that they even asked, but, um, yeah, I mean, but like backing off when it's appropriate is also really important to not like, like pressuring people because that's, if you're not ready, you're not ready. Yeah. I was, I was super thankful then because like my coworker asking me that one thing, a different yeah. coworker had pulled me aside before and was like are you okay like is everything okay at home and I was like oh yeah you know fine he's like okay I just want to ask like I was in an abusive relationship once he's like I just kind of thought I saw some signs and I was like oh no no of course so like all these people asking were like setting it up for like maybe something is wrong type of thing and so then it have like there was one time like it was really bad like I was so good at like hiding it like I knew which positions to be in so like I stuck my mouth full of like the comforters like no one cared like me crying and like screaming really like while he did his thing like, mm-hmm. but I was in such like a, so used to it after like one really terrible time, like I remember just like laying on the ground. I had to wait for like my body to stop shaking. He'd already left. And I like remember like zombie mode again, like mm-hmm. getting up, like going to the bathroom, like cleaning up all the blood, putting on a pad. So like I didn't like bleed everywhere. I'm thinking like, I'm so used to this. Like this shouldn't be normal. Like it just kind of like, hit me all at once. Mm-hmm. And like I go out and he's like, sometimes like grab me poems. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like this isn't my fault type thing. Like on and on and on whatever the least romantic poem ever written (laughs) but like that was the thing I don't know why like poems like and it was always like deflecting somehow like Mm -hmm. something else I mean like oh I never meant to hurt you and I'm like it's like the millionth time you rate me type thing but and like then he'd usually go and like finish somewhere else because like I ruined it for him by crying I was like well sorry like sorry to not be a perfect person for you but um and it came to a point where I was like, I just kind of like reached that point, like the very bottom. It's like, mm. I was always depressed, but like I got super depressed. I stopped eating and sleeping and I was like, I need to like see someone. So my brother lives in Vermont. So I flew literally as far away as I could get for a couple of weeks. And I still couldn't tell them. I was like, it just wouldn't come out. But they knew something was wrong. I was like skin and bones. Like I was usually like a happier person. I was just not there. I was just... Know, probably still super disassociated and so my sister-in-law sat me down and she was like so you can either go to therapy here or like I'll find you something to get back like she didn't even give me a choice really she was like I was like well I can't go here like my insurance won't cover just a random one she's like okay well you go home and we're gonna get you some therapy I thought she would kind of drop it when I got home and she started texting me she's like oh like here's the links <laughs> to the websites like these are some good ones and like she really like pushed me in that direction and so I ended up going to therapy which game changer like yeah absolutely amazing and I was like 
you know, maybe therapy will help. Like they're supposed to tell me like what's wrong, which isn't how therapy works. But I went. Which I've heard that a bunch too. I've heard a lot of survivors go into therapy because they're like, my partner is telling me there's something wrong with me and I need help. Yeah. And then they go to therapy and the therapist is like, wow, like <laughs> actually my friend. And then it's like, oh my God, yeah, this is not much. what I expected. Exactly. That. I'm relieving the first like therapy session and thinking like, well, she didn't fix me at all. Like what's going on? She just like, let me talk. And like the first couple of weeks, she just had me talk and she'd like ask like certain questions and just let me talk. And then like, that was it. And it, like took her that poor, she is the most incredible person ever, but she had to be so patient because I would refuse to say anything bad about him. Like if she mm. maybe like would try to answer, like ask me a question, try to get me to say something, I wouldn't. So if she would bring something up, I would just shut down. Like there's no way. She's like, well, you kind of have him on the pedestal. Like, like he can absolutely do nothing wrong when he's like, you know, been abusing me for like the last seven years. I'm like, no, like, no, like there's no way. So it took a long time for me to be like, oh, wait, like maybe it's not all like my fault. And, like, there was one time, because he couldn't let me be, like, in another room. So, like, there's a two-story house. But if I was going to the bathroom, like, I couldn't close the lock the door. If I was going to go downstairs to the shower, like, he would follow me, like, and watch. Like, there was no, like, privacy or independence whatsoever. So, I got downstairs to the shower. And, like, he followed. I knew exactly, like, he's about to, like, about to be raped again. So, I was like, oh, like, I'm not going to shower right now. He's like, oh, like, no, you are. Like, it's like, well, I don't want it. It's like, once I was, like, going begging him, like, please don't. And, like, for, I don't know if it's I was going to therapy, but I was like, fighting back and I was like trying to push him off I don't know if he stopped because like the houses are kind of close and you're scared someone would hear but like eventually like he stopped like trying to take my clothes off I just remember like laying in the bottom of the shower like just sobbing like what is wrong like this I don't think like this is what a normal relationship is supposed to be like it shouldn't feel like this marriage should not feel like yeah, this. yeah I was yeah. so broken because I tried to do everything I could to like fix myself I'd gone to physical therapy I read all the marriage books I had gone to right. therapy and like nothing was working I was like what is wrong with me and so I had brought up um divorce him I was like like what if this never gets better he didn't say anything at all really he's like whatever I'm going to bed I was like oh like maybe he would be fine with that yeah and then like the love bombing starts again poems and letters and gifts and like always at my workplace and then he starts being like like well maybe like it would just be so much easier if you died like like divorce would be so hard on me like maybe you should just die like all the time and I was like super depressed I was like maybe he's right like it's my fault like maybe I should be the one which if I look at it now like if I died because we we're married he would have got all the military money so like benefits yeah four hundred thousand like dollars the story would have been safe forever like it would have been perfect for him if I just died type of thing so he was right it would have been easier for him but he was like always pushing me towards that like be so much easier if you were just dead type thing it's like thankfully i'm going to therapy now so like i'm telling jessica this and she's like oh so like should your husband be telling you that type of thing so like it took me a long time but then he was going to go down to texas to buy a truck and drive it back to alaska and he's like well i think we should do like a one ditch one last ditch thing to save our marriage and like in the church like if you're divorced like you're a terrible person like if all of your stuff like divorce you're not a christian like all stuff so like, i was like i can still save a marriage like it's my fault to begin with so i go on this road trip with him and i brought like that's when i was listening to we are her so like i'm listening to these podcasts and I'm, like this kind of sounds like some things i've gone through something even, sounds a little uh, familiar yeah but even then i'd be like well just like they beat her like i like he's never hit me so like i like this is still my fault type of thing like, any way i could find to like put it back on myself i was like it's my fault like it's no way like it's his fault so um 
but the more I listened to them, I was like, wow, like maybe. And then like the therapy course, and I was reading like these books, like about trauma and stuff, like trying to see if I could crack the code. And I saw her starting flashbacks, like all the times so I'd like put out of my mind of like all the rape and stuff. And I was like, he did that. Like the person next to me driving did that. And so um, it was kind of like the thing that this was a say our marriage was kind of like the big awakening for me because before he would talk about like me just dying but on that road trip he would describe like how I should die type of thing he's like I really wish like when you like while you were sleeping I just wanted to drive us off a cliff like a lot of murder suicide scenarios and I was like will I ever get to see my family again like am I gonna make it home safely is he gonna dispose of me on this trip type of thing and so like we got back and I was like maybe like it's possible he's the bad guy in this story so like that whole trip was like the best thing that I got back home safely which is nice but right. like the best thing I think that could have happened because like it took that much for me to see that maybe it wasn't all my fault and so I still stayed in the house for a little bit because I wasn't sure where to go I wasn't sure to tell but I like started staying in the room upstairs like locking the door and he would come home and I would hear like him pacing outside my door I'd have my like my little like knife I was like I'll fight to like the very last if I have to type thing but eventually it got so bad but once you start talking about like murder suicide that's like I think that's where people get confused around like what constitutes violence that's violence you know um just because it's not physical doesn't mean that there isn't like an extreme risk of lethality and harm and and there are times where like it doesn't they might not have ever like punched you or hit you necessarily but it doesn't mean that it's any more safe and so to for and you could kind of hear in the way that you were talking about like this the increments like building and building and building like inch by inch by inch well eventually it inched into like actually talking in like real life terms around what that would look like and like that's a scary place to be and it sounds like you know the alarm bells were going off for you yeah it's like staying in the room so like once again I wasn't eating or drinking or like sleeping because I was like every like noise I heard was like get my knife like is this about to be like the end type thing it's like I was literally like scared to like for my life all the time and I was like why am I doing this I like one night I just like put a bunch of stuff in a bag like ran out the door and like that was it like just didn't go back I was like I can't do this anymore but it still took months at therapy to like realize that he was the bad guy and she was like have you ever heard of Stockholm syndrome like PTSD all these different things and so she would have me like we would in the in therapy we would record like the stories and I would tell her like in detail and like she would have me listen back to them later and that would like break me because like the things happening to me was like oh like whatever like I'm so used to it but then like hearing them I'm so like my heart broke for the person but that person was me I was like oh my gosh like that's terrible so like that was a huge thing as well but therapy absolutely changed my life I should probably say my life like multiple times like I might still be with him if she hadn't been like, let's work through this. Because when I first went in there, I was like, I need you to fix me. Like, I need you to do this so I can be a good wife and stuff. And eventually she was like, that's not why Like, we're here. Like, I can't help you do that. Like, I can't help you stay with him. And There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Like, eventually, like, that's what it came down to. But it took so long for me to figure that out. So, like, yeah, she absolutely saved my life. But it was, it took forever. And to hear you talk about like the self-compassion for the very first time, because when someone is just like ground you down to the point where you have no self-esteem and you, you don't 
I mean, that's part of how they can keep control is that you don't love yourself and they've intentionally made it that way. And to have like a moment of self-compassion, like, oof, yeah, it's huge. Do you mind me asking where you, where you landed? Like when you left, where did you go? Was it somewhere safe, hopefully? Yeah. So I went to a friend's house. Um, the same coworker had been like, what is wrong with like, why are you scared of your husband? Because eventually like he kind of got the story out of me, like what's going on? It's like, yeah, I ran there and I knew like no one else near I was. I was super safe. I was there for a while till I could like get a place on my own. And even then, like to this day, like I sleep with a pistol under my um, pillow and there's a shotgun in the corner. And like, that's what makes me feel safe. But the dreams for so long were like so real. There's like more than once I've like woken up and like cleared the house with a pistol. Like if he's in here, like I need to find him before he gets to me type of thing. So like, yeah. The fear is real and valid. Yeah. I mean, like he gave you every single reason to be afraid of him. So it makes absolute sense that you would be scared. Yeah. So um, finally, like when the divorce came to you, um, we actually did a dissolution. I thought he would fight it, but he was more scared of me telling my story. He was like, constantly like, I'll sign the papers, but you can't come after me. Like constantly he's like, are you going to come after me? Like he knew what he did, but he didn't want his perfect image to get destroyed so, but even then he fought it. So the first dissolution papers he threw away, he's like, oh, I messed up a line. It's like, why wouldn't you just take out that one paper? And the second accidentally got shredded, which I don't know how that happens. And then finally, like it all got wrapped up. But yeah, it was, it's crazy. Like how hard I had to work just to like be free, like to get myself back to be safe. Like it's amazing how much work a person can go through just to be safe. It's terrible actually but right which should be someone's like inherent human right like if you exist as a human being on the earth you deserve to be safe but I don't think we like tell people that enough you know there's a lot especially women with the like I have to protect myself kind of mentality um so so after the divorce can can you tell me a little bit more about like what healing has looked like for for you from then until now Gosh, healing, like, I would think that, you know, all that stuff would be the hardest part. I feel like healing is one of the hardest possible things. Like, one of the, I'm going to butcher it, like, one of the favorite quotes that, like, always is in my head is um, just, like, someone can steal your body, you can also reclaim it. But that, like, reclaiming is so much work. So, like, therapy was the biggest thing, like, going to therapy and listening to myself tell my own stories and then just working through, like, getting through the PTSD and the Stockholm Syndrome, like, the guilt was a huge one. So like uh, my cousin has like five little girls all around like the same age I was when he abused me. So like every single day I have to deal with like, well, I didn't say anything. Like, is he doing that to them? And then I didn't turn in like my husband. So is he going to do that to someone else? It's like the guilt, even though it's not on me, is something that I work through every day. So, but like therapy and then like learning to love the things that they like just absolutely tore down about you. Like, just really like reclaiming everything that they took. I can never get those years back, but I can still like, the depression is gone. Like everything that he, the happiness he took, like all these different things, like they're mine now and it feels amazing. Yeah, yeah. The irony of like joy can feel twice as joyful now because you know what it feels like to have no joy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even like the little victories. So like my therapist working through me with me, 
um, for like 15 years after the first trauma, like every single night was just nightmares, like terrible nightmares. Like it's not all the time anymore, like working through that. Like I can sometimes sleep without reliving all my traumas and it's amazing. Like the little things are sometimes the biggest things. It's just incredible. Yeah, like I get to go to sleep and wake up refreshed. Yeah. Or like even working through triggers, like sometimes like I'll just wake up like shaking and like, you know, struggling to breathe. But I can get back so much quicker now. Like disassociation isn't as difficult to come back from. Just, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Like healing is, like I say, like not linear at all. It's just all over the place. And sometimes I'll feel so like upset that like I've done all this work and like I'm still like being triggered. But if I look back, like the triggers are so different now. And like the dreams are so like so like sparse now. And there's just so many things like I'm happy again, like. I have my family back. I have my friends back. Like he, everything he took from me, I have back more now. It just, it just feels better. Yeah. Um, are there other things aside from therapy, which like, I love therapy. I really do. But are there things that you do for yourself, like on a daily basis or just any, yeah. Any insight into kind of like your new coping mechanisms or what you sort of do for healing? Yeah. So I'd say a big thing, like, you know, working on yourself, like that's so broad, but I had to give a lot of dreams when I was with him because he was like, well, you're so successful because we're going to call yourself like that means like I have no reason to be successful. So like everything I did, I felt guilty about, but now I can actually work towards my dreams again. So next month I start flight school to get my private pilot's license. Cool. I want to be an Air Force pilot and I can work towards these things and not feel guilty anymore. Instead, it feels exciting and refreshing. And if I mess up, I'm not like just totally guilty about everything like. I can feel almost good about myself because I can learn from them instead of just being, you know, degraded or things like that. Just there's so many little victories. And even like some days I'll just go like on a drive by myself and like I can do that. Like no one's searching through my phone. No one's, you know, looking at my every move. I can disappear for hours at a time. It's just me. And it's just like I'll write a lot like things I'm thinking of like write about past traumas and like what happened so I can get them out of my head and like see them just so many little things it's hard to really explain I guess no that you that was great I think um you know it it everyone has to find like what works for them and in terms of like healthy coping and and for healing but sometimes yeah I just like to ask that question because I think when people are kind of like stuck in a rut or like they don't even know where to begin it's helpful to like hear where what other people do and you can try it out and see if it works for you and if it doesn't great but um yeah like that piece of that you're talking about, like getting it out. I think like, that's a lot of what therapy is, is like, you've got these like feelings, which can feel really amorphous. But then when you like actually put words around them and like say them and speak them out loud and like physically move them out of your body, it's like this other tangible thing that you can actually do something with instead of just being stuck in like the hamster wheel of your own mind. Yeah. I would say like for like a whole year after I'd like run away, it was, it was kind of like a lull. I didn't really work on anything. It was so exhausting just going to therapy and like coming face to face with what had happened to me, like actually admitting to myself that, you know, I've been raped countless times. Like the person I thought I loved was like, you know, my abuser, like coming face to face with all these things and working through the triggers and the trauma was exhausting. I would say for like a whole year, I wasn't really working on anything except myself. And sometimes I just like felt super, super just like out of energy for weeks at a time. It would just take so much out of me. And I felt guilty for a while. Like, oh, I should be working on something. But I was working on myself. I was working on like 
becoming whole again. And it took a lot out of me. Yeah, I but imagine the other trajectory of like, if you would have just like jumped into the next thing to distract yourself or like, you know, it could have I think a lot of people I mean, it's amazing that you're able to take that time for yourself and really work on yourself. I think, um, yeah, it can be really hard to like try to re-enter into the world and then uh, people get like burnt out and re-traumatized really quickly. Um, I would say it's one of my coping mechanisms is to like do everything so I don't feel anything. My therapist would call me on that all the time. She's like, you don't have to be busy all the time. Like you should take some time and like see what's actually like in your mind that you're trying to escape from. Which is really hard. Which is scary. Yeah. Sometimes if you're not busy, you actually have to face your own shit. And then it's like, oh no, that's, that's where the real, I mean, that's, it's not called like vacation. It's called work. (laughs) You're not like vacationing on yourself. You're working on yourself and it is work. It's, it's, it's a labor. Yeah. And I'll say like, cause I was so young when I first met him and he started like to grow me and everything. I never really got to experience like all those feelings are like kind of coming to who I was. So all at the exact same time, I was like getting away from him and I had to find out who I was by myself because I'd never been by myself. And so all these different things, it was super scary, but like super exciting. It was just so many things at the same time, so many emotions and like, it was just super overwhelming at times, which another reason like therapy was amazing. Like, let's work through this. Like, what's your next goal? Like, divorce took forever because of COVID and like all the papers and stuff. So like that was overwhelming. So yeah, it was just so much like once you're finally free of that person, you don't really know who you are or what to do with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, overwhelming, like it's a lot at once, which is like what therapy can really help do is like, like break it into increments that are, you know, that you can actually do something with instead of all at once. It's like, okay, let's baby steps, baby steps. Um, Well, I always like to ask this question too, um, just for any listener right now um, who is either in, out, it doesn't really matter. Like if if there's a survivor listening right now, is there something you would want them to know or something you would want to say to them? The biggest thing I could ever think of is it's not your fault because I blamed myself for so long. And like looking back, if I just like taking the time and been like, you know, maybe someone else is like doing something to me. But I had so much guilt and I was like, in every, like, in every single way, like, this is my fault. And I would even like, listen to We Are Her and I'd be like, well, like, they had it worse than me. So I couldn't possibly be in a bad place. But if you have to ask yourself, like, is this bad? Like, it's probably really bad. Like, you shouldn't have to ask yourself if someone is abusing you. Like that, if you're in a good relationship with anyone, like, you shouldn't have to ask, like, like, question it. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's, I feel like there was so much that took me to realize that I was being abused, even though anyone else, like, if I told them one story, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, run away. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really important message. Um, yeah, I like I said, I, I was really just struck by that moment of self-compassion that you talked about. And I think that can be, like, a pivotal moment for folks if that, if if even just, like, it's not my fault is just a little seed that starts to get planted and allowing that to grow into a moment where you can, like, have some self-love and self-compassion. Um, so yeah, so thank you for that. Um, well, on, you know, on that note, if there's anything else you'd like to say, I, I think we're ready to wrap up, but I do always like to give like the final moment to guests. If there's just anything else kind of like weighing on your heart that you want to get out, um, now's a good chance. 
I can't think of anything. I'm thank you for this opportunity. This is awesome. Like I remember when I was in my relationship, I saw like you putting out like the, you know, come be a, like a guest, but you can't be it if you haven't left yet. And in my head, I was like, that's my goal. Like someday <gasps> I will leave this so I can at least like put it in. And now here I am. So oh my god, and you safe. did it. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh my god, that's really cool to hear. Um, wow. I'm I'm gonna just ball my eyes out <laughs> later. I. I'm like, I have an emotional, like delayed response to everything. So, um, but that like, that's like, that's really powerful. And we had a lot of, um, people apply for this season too. It was like over 60, oh, wow. I think. Yeah. So yeah, it was a lot, but, um, I, so it just makes it all that much more special that you made it on the podcast and it's really cool to hear it come full circle yeah, like that. Really. I feel very like honored to be here. Like it's listening to all those stories all this time. And like, yeah, I get to tell them why and it feels really good. Uh, well, it feels really good to listen to your story too. I feel honored to hear it and receive it. And um, yeah, with that, we'll stop recording. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.